Hey, this is Caleb Cole, pastor of Project Church in Sacramento. And man, I am so excited for you to hear this word. I believe God is going to encourage you, strengthen you, and challenge you through it. So get ready to receive from God today. What is up, Project Church? Man, thank you for joining us for another week of Church Online. It is actually Independence Day weekend. We're celebrating um, the independence of our country. But today I want to continue in our Marked by Jesus series. Um, Last week, my wife, Chrissy, brought a great word as we really looked at um, Jesus healing a boy with an unclean spirit. And this is a moment where Jesus is coming to the end of his earthly ministry We've told you there's about six months left before um, he goes to the cross. And in this moment, he really uh, takes this, these last six months to teach the disciples what it looks like to follow him, to teach the disciples what it's going to take to lead a movement moving forward with him, not physically on the earth any longer. And so he's taking these last six months to train them up, to prepare them for what it is that's coming and for the call and the purpose that he has for them in building his church. And so I think this uh, section of scripture is very important for us. In fact, um, Chrissy, she shared in the section right before this is really all about faith. It's all about growing our faith and building our faith. But then here, I'm going to be reading from Mark chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles, go there. I'm going to be reading verse 30 through 40 and uh, 41, 30 through 41. And Jesus makes a shift here, and he starts to teach them on what it means to be humble, uh, what humility looks like. And so I really want to talk to you about just that same idea, this idea of humility today. And humility is really antithetical to what our culture and world tells us, and even more so to what our flesh naturally tries to lead us by. We are naturally prideful human beings. We think we know it all. And we live in a way that is about us. We put ourselves first. We put us before anyone else or anything else. And that is what Jesus is really teaching the disciples about here. He's trying to challenge them to shift their thinking away from themselves and onto others. That they would lead from a place of humility rather than leading from a place of pride. And I think too many of us are living this life from a place of pride. And pride gets us in trouble. Now, I want to illustrate this because the the scriptures give us explicit um, instructions as to the results of pride and humility. So let me just jump through a few scriptures really quick. Isaiah 66, 2. God is talking. He says, all these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. This is who God sees. He who is humble and contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word. This is who God blesses. So listen, you want to be blessed? It's really simple. Be humble. Contrite in spirit. That is a humble spirit, a a spirit that that says, I'm nothing compared to God. Uh, And and so, man, this is a challenge for us in a world that, that encourages us to elevate ourselves, that we would elevate ourselves, we'd build our platform, we'd build our, um, you know, our following, we'd become influencers, we're all about building ourselves up. And Jesus is saying, no, you need to humble yourself down. Micah 6, 8 says, he has told you, oh man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly 
with your God. This is what we are to do. This is what is good in the Lord commands, that we walk humbly with God. Luke 14, 11, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Man, if this doesn't tell you anything about humble uh, humility and pride, I don't know what will. Um, man, if you humble yourself, you're going to be you are going to be exalted. If you exalt yourself, you will be humbled. And then Luke 18, 14, I tell you this, man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Another, uh, Jesus just reiterating this to the disciples. Ephesians 2 says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. This is how we lead, with humility and gentleness. Colossians 3:12 says, put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. James 4, 6, and 7. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Man, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be opposed by God. And what this is telling us, us is that God not, doesn't just, he's not just displeased with the proud, He's not just upset with the proud. He actually says that he opposes those who are proud, but he pours out grace on those who are humble. And then in James 4.10, it says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. That's right. When we come before God, humble, contrite, guess what happens? He elevates us. He exalts us. What is all this telling us? It's telling us we can either humble ourselves or God will humble us. And uh, I'm telling you right now, God humbling you is going to be much more painful than you choosing to humble yourself. He opposes those who are proud. And let me tell you, when God opposes you, it is going to be hard. It is going to make your life difficult. It is going to make your life painful. So my wife, um, she actually was a camp counselor at a camp in Missouri called Canacook. And it's a camp where college students, athletes, um, you know, they serve as the counselors and it's a bunch of high school kids and it's a, a lot of sports in these camps. But in this camp, they teach them something. And it's something that she still teaches our kids to this day. And I think she shared it with you before. But here's what she teaches our kids. All the time she talks to them, she says, God first, others second, and I am third. And she, so she always asks our kids, where do you fall? Say it with me. I am third. I want you to say it with me right now. Say, I am third. And this is a great teaching for us about humility, that we put God first, we put others second, and then we put ourselves third. I am third. And yet this is not how most of us are living in this world. I've got to be honest. Um, in this world, I'm living as I am first. Like, I, it's about me. I love me. And a lot of us are living that way. We're thinking that way. Um, we operate and live our lives with that mindset. And let me tell you, that is not who God has called you to be. And so here, we're going to look at the disciples and we're going to look at their response and why Jesus is calling them to humility. And it's really because they're prideful. And so the title of my message today is how to not follow like a disciple. Now, a disciple is a follower, and these disciples that Jesus is teaching, these 12, followed him, learned from him, and yet in this text, they were not following correctly. 
And so I'm not saying this in all the times when it comes to the disciples, but in this time, Mark 9, which I'm about to read, 30 to 41, this is a text where we look at it and go, this is how not to follow, all right? So time my message, how not to follow like a disciple. Let's read Mark 9. I'm going to start in verse number 30. They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. That's right. They're arguing about who is the top dog, who's the greatest among themselves. And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child, put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. John said to him, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. How to not follow like a disciple. That's all I want to talk to you about today. Because these disciples right here, they were missing it. And Jesus has got, got to set them straight. And I believe he's going to set us straight today. So let's pray. God, I pray that you would teach us from this text what it looks like to follow you, um, what it looks like to truly follow like a disciple. Here we can learn how to not follow like a disciple from these disciples. But Lord, I pray that your word would transform and change us, that we would become humble, contrite people, that we would not elevate ourselves, we would elevate you. We would humble ourselves so that we can be exalted. God, knowing that if we exalt ourselves, we will be humbled. So, Lord, speak to us today and give us humble hearts in, in a time and a day when it's so easy to be prideful. God, humble us. We love you and we pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So I want to give you some keys today to humbly follow Jesus. First is focus on the cross. That's right. We have to focus always and only on the cross. Focus more on Jesus and less on you. That's the best way that I could teach it to you. That you daily wake up and decide to focus more on Jesus and less on you. In a day and an age of self-help, self-elevating, right? Building our brands, building our platforms. Man, what if we stopped and said, let me, let me focus more on Jesus than I do focus on myself. F.B. Meyer said this, the only hope of a decreasing self is an increasing Christ. I think that's so good. Uh, Paul actually said, more of you and less of me. And that's the message that we have to get across. In Luke 9.44, um, there's a text, and I, I want to re read this really quick. Just jump there. But in Luke 9.44, it actually says, and, and again, Jesus is talking. He's talking um, to the people. And he tells them, he says this, 
But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, again, teaching his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. So what was happening is the disciples were not letting the message of Jesus going to the cross sink into their ears. In fact, I read it here at the beginning in verse 30 that Jesus goes with the disciples and it says he's teaching them. It's just him and the disciples. Like I said, these are the final months of Jesus' ministry and he's focusing on these 12. And at times there was, you know, a few hundred with them, um, extended disciples that would travel with them. But he's really focusing on the 12 in this moment. And he tells them, look, I'm going to be delivered in the hands of men. I'm going to be killed. And then after three days, I'm going to rise. And the disciples, they don't get it. They don't get what's happening. They don't get this message that Jesus is trying to teach them. And we can actually go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, where um, Paul actually says in a, in a day and an age when the people and the, the people in Corinth prided themselves on wisdom, um, on the, their philosophies. They prided themselves on their perspective on philosophy and life. And, G, and Paul talking to them as he's trying to convince them of this good news of Jesus. And he's trying to sway them from following like, um, you know, Eastern and worldly philosophies. He says to them this. He says, listen, I know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. That's what Paul says. He's like, all that talk of wisdom and philosophy, like, that's all great and all... I can't speak to any of that. But you know what I can speak to? I can speak to the fact that my God went to the cross and paid the ultimate price with his life so that I could have life. But he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose again. I know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. Let this message of Paul soak into your heart and spirit. Because this is a moment for the disciples when Jesus keeps hammering them. I mean, he tells them over and over. I think, I feel like every other week when I teach from the book of Mark, Jesus is reminding them, I'm going to be killed. Just a couple, you know, verses back, chapters back, Peter has just rebuked Jesus for saying, I'm going to die. I'm going to be killed. And three days later, I'm going to rise again. Peter has just rebuked him and says, no, far be it from you, Lord. That's not going to happen. And Jesus has to rebuke him and say, get behind me, Satan. Jesus is continually trying to hammer the message of the cross of his death into his people, into his disciples, and they can't get it. They, they just, they cannot wrap their mind around that their Savior, their Messiah, who they think is going to liberate them politically, is going to die. They're going, no, you're not going to die. You're going to lead the charge. You're going to rescue us. You're going to save us. And I think in today's day and age, because somebody goes, what does this have to do with me? I think that we are getting sidetracked from the message of the cross. I think we, in this moment, have lost our sight, our vision on the message of Jesus. That is the core message. I'm not saying we can't champion all other messages. We can't champion justice and unity and, and racial reconciliation. We have to do all those things. But at the root of our message has to be the cross, that Jesus paid the price for all races, for all people, for all backgrounds, for all sin, that all men would be able to come unto him the key to humbly follow Jesus is to focus on the cross of Jesus. 
And I'm reminded today that I at times can lose and get caught up and distracted from the main thing. I mean, I've been having a lot of conversations lately about the coronavirus, about COVID-19. In fact, moments before I recorded this message, I was having a conversation, a debate about it. Let me tell you something. It's very easy to get distracted from the main message of Jesus, which is life. That I came that may, they may have life and life to the fullest. And we have life because of his death. We have life and life eternal because of his death. And I just want to challenge you. I want to encourage you. I'm not against us championing anything else. And, and this is a moment when I think the church has to step into new spheres and places. But we cannot forget that the message of Jesus and the cross is at the forefront. And it is the foremost message that we must project to this world. And so if you have not received Jesus, we're going to give you an opportunity at the end of this that you would embrace the message of the cross, that there's a God that went to the cross and died a painful death, the death you should have died, and, and, and paid the price so that you could have life. That is what I want to tell you today, and you're going to have an opportunity at the end of, the, of today to respond. We have to humbly follow Jesus, and if we're going to do this, we have to focus on the cross, first and foremost. The disciples had to not follow like a disciple. The disciples couldn't wrap their mind around the fact that their Savior could die. They said, no, that's not going to happen. We don't want that to happen. We can't perceive that happening. I mean, what does that mean for us? And yet now we know that that was everything. That was the cornerstone, the corner piece. And so for you and I today, may we not lose track and lose sight of, of projecting and, and, and releasing and speaking out the message of the cross every chance we get. Because that is truly how we humble ourselves. More of Jesus and less of us. Second key to humbly following Jesus is we have to be okay with asking, with asking questions. What do we see here in verse 32? Right after Jesus has said, man, the son of man, he's going to die, but he's going to rise again. It says, they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. They, out of fear, they didn't ask the question that Jesus, I believe, would have given them the answer to. And I think that in this day and age, a lot of us are quick to speak. And we're slow to listen. And we're even slower to ask questions. We actually are in a moment where everyone's got their opinions and they think they know what's right. And they're trying to answer and fix the problems of this world and this culture and this day and this season. And they're saying, this is what we got to do and this is how we got to fix it. But man, are we stopping and asking questions? Are we asking questions of the people around us? I would encourage you because some of you with all the, the, the racial tension that we're feeling... You've been speaking and sharing and talking more than you've been asking questions. One of the first things I did was in the middle of this was I started to call my friends, my brothers and sisters of color and say, hey, talk to me about how you're feeling. You know, talk to me about, about how I can understand like your perspective on this. And I asked questions. Did I agree with every single thing they said or every single answer they had? No, but I learned a lot. And I asked questions before I spoke. I asked questions of people around me before I spoke out. And I think that some of us are actually being held back from growing in our faith, from drawing closer to God, because we think, oh, that's a dumb question. 
or I don't want to look dumb, so I don't want to ask that. I don't know what held the disciples back, but I'll tell you this, they should have asked Jesus the question, they would have got the answer, and they probably would have had quicker revelation of what it was that they couldn't wrap their mind around. God wants to give you revelation, but are you asking the right questions? So maybe what God is trying to say to us right now is in humbling yourself, you stop. The Bible tells us be slow to speak, quick to listen. Maybe in this moment and following Jesus humbly is is God saying to us and Jesus saying to us, listen, stop and ask some questions before you speak out. Like think before you act, before you speak before you state what you think is the right answer or the right response, man, are we asking the right questions? Third today, third key to humbly following Jesus is we have to avoid comparison. I think we all can relate to this. I am guilty of comparing myself, comparing myself to people around me, to, to old classmates, to friends, um, to other dads, to other pastors. I mean, comparison kills purpose. It's one of the greatest killers of purpose. So what happens? Verse 33 and 34. They come to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, in the house, Jesus asked them, he says, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Now, I actually love this part of the story because it actually makes me laugh. I'm just picturing Jesus thinking, wow, I got six months left with these guys. Like literally six months left. And here they are comparing each other. Listen, the disciples' dream was one of status, honor, and power. Does this sound familiar? I think that we've, we've got it twisted. We think, oh man, today's day and age, people just want fame. They want, you know, uh, they want to be famous. They, they want power. They want people to recognize them. They want to be known. Guess what? It was the same 2,000 years ago. The disciples are saying, who's the greatest? You want to know why? Because they wanted status. They wanted honor. They wanted power. They still are perceiving and looking at Jesus and expecting him to be a political liberator. That's what they're waiting for. Oh, he's going to liberate us from, from the Romans. He's going to get us out from under their rule. And then we'll be the next up and we'll be in authority and we'll be in power. We'll run the, the show and we'll tell people what's up. We'll be the, the new governors, the new pilots, the new Caesars. That's what they were looking for, aspiring for. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. That's not what this is about. And he asked them this question, not because he didn't know the answer, but he asked them because he wanted them to think about what they were discussing and how their mindset had been twisted to one of pride rather than humility. And then he goes on to them in verse 35. He says, listen, to be first, you got to be last. To be the greatest, you have to serve the most. And Jesus is thinking here, I've got six months left. And I'm guessing... He's probably laughing, thinking, man, Peter, James, and John are like, let's be real, guys. We know who the greatest are. I mean, we were the three <laughs> that went up on the mountain and saw the transfiguration. We literally saw Moses and Elijah. We saw Jesus transform in front of us. He's like, let's be real. We know we're the greatest. And then John's going, well, you know who Jesus loves the most. And Peter's like, yeah, but you know, like, he called me the rock. 
And, and then, you know, Judas is going, yeah, but who does Jesus trust with the money? You know what I'm saying? Like, he trusts me to hold that cash money. So, so I'm probably, I mean, I just picture this debate happening. Thomas is going, well, you know, I'm the intellectual one, the, the theological one. I'm the one that, you know, that, that has all the answers. And this debate is raging. Who's the greatest? And Jesus has to stop them. What does comparison do? You know that comparison actually divides people. That's what comparison does. It separates us from those who are meant to be in unity with. The greatest thing that this pandemic, this COVID-19 has done for me is remove the temptation to comparison. Because I just want to be honest with you, as your pastor, um, I have issues too. I'm not perfect. I know some of you are shocked right now. But uh, I've always struggled with comparison and mostly comparing myself to other pastors, comparing our church to other churches. And so I would get on Insta stories, you know, most Sundays or Mondays, and I'd be swiping through and looking at all the other services that all the other churches were having. And wow, look at their crowd. It looks really big. And look at how engaged the people are. And they're amening them. And I mean, I wish my church would amen me more, you know, and uh, shout me down a little bit, you know, wave some hankies or something. Um, and, and this comparison happens. And it was literally robbing me of my joy and my purpose. So the greatest thing of this whole pandemic for me personally, I know it hasn't been great for all of us, um, and it hasn't been great for me in a lot of ways, but one of the, or probably the greatest thing that's happened in all this, besides family time, is the comparison is gone. Because I don't, I'm not looking at Facebook views. I'm not looking at YouTube views, you know? I'm just going, man, we're all trying to get the message of Jesus out there in a digital world right now because we can't meet in person. And I've actually been championing my brothers and sisters who are pastors and leaders and other churches more than ever. And so I'm like, thank you, God, that you've used this to actually remove comparison from my life. But the question now is, am I going to, when things open back up and life gets back to somewhat normal, am I going to allow myself to get caught back in, in that trap, a trap that has stolen my joy and has actually separated me from people in my life, people that I should be rooting for, I'm actually comparing myself to, and I'll just be honest, secretly going, ah, I hope that thing starts to tank. And some of you can relate to this. I just want to tell you, comparison will divide you from the people you are meant to be in unity with. Comparison will steal your joy. It will rob you of your purpose. And so I I challenge you, a great way to humble yourself is to avoid comparison. And you know how I avoid comparison? I've ch I choose to champion and celebrate with others when good things happen. I don't say, why didn't that happen to me? Or they don't deserve that. Or I should be getting that instead of them. Or, or I know what they're really like. Or I know what they really should get or deserve. No. I champion them. I celebrate with them. I rejoice with those who rejoice, just like I mourn with those who mourn. Avoid comparison. The disciples, how to not follow like a disciple, the disciples got pulled into comparison. Who's the greatest? Jesus says, you know who's the greatest? It's the one that serves the most. Number four is serve without strings. If we're going to humbly follow Jesus, we have to serve without strings. Now, this connects to what I was just talking to you about because Jesus actually tells them, look, you got to be servant of all. And then he 
takes a child and puts him in the midst of them. So he grabs a kid, a little, a little kid. I don't know. They're in a house and there's obviously some kids present. And taking him in his arms, he says to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. So essentially, if you receive a child, you're receiving me, Jesus. And if you're receiving me, you're receiving God who sent me. Now, some of us are going like, I don't really get this teaching. And even going back to when Jesus called the disciples out because they were trying to keep the children from coming to him. Remember, um, you know, he, he's going around, he's teaching, and all these kids start running to Jesus. And he's in the middle of teaching. These children try to come to him, and the disciples are stopping them. They're going, no, no, no. The teacher is teaching. He, he doesn't have time for you. And Jesus says, no, no, let the children come unto me. And then he does a similar teaching as he does here, which is, as you do unto the least of these, so you've done unto me. As you receive a child, so you receive me. Why is this something that Jesus is focusing on? Because I think we don't understand this because in our culture, children are of utmost value. In today's culture, we value children um, of utmost. In, in fact, sometimes um, it, it's dangerous in that we, we allow them to even take the place of God. But we live in a different culture than they did in that day. You see, in that day, half of children died before the age of five. I want you to think about that. 50% of children died before the age of five. Even up until the 1800s, half of children were dying before the age of five. And so what people did was they didn't value children until they were older. You know why? Because they had no intrinsic value. A little child could not do anything for the family. Up until, you know, a certain age, 8, 9, 10, 12 years old, they didn't bring anything, they didn't add anything, they didn't help anything. If anything, all they did was take from you because half of them would die anyways. And so in this culture, the people would not allow themselves to get connected in heart. They would not allow themselves to get attached to a child until they hit a certain age. And that age was one where they could now provide value for the family. I want you to think about this. It was a pagan society, a pagan society where you care about those who are useful. And a young child has no use. All they do is take. They don't give anything. Not only that, but they may even take your heart if you allow yourself to get attached to them because half of them are going to die anyways. So what Jesus is doing is he's reframing the perspective of the people and the disciples. He's saying, listen, these children are of no real use. And they may actually even break your heart if you get attached to them. And this is who you should serve. This is who you should love. This is how you grow in humility. How you serve people who have no intrinsic value to you. Serving someone who can do nothing in return for you. That is the humility that Jesus is teaching about. Now, I hope this sets things in a little different uh, perspective for you. Because now I want you to think about how you serve. Because I think most of us serve only so that we are in return served. We serve to a point that we know we will get something in return. And Jesus is challenging the disciples and he's flipping this culture on its head because they didn't value children. And he's saying, no, you serve people with no strings attached. 
You serve people even when they can give nothing back to you in return. You serve people who have no intrinsic value maybe in this world, but you serve anyways. Why? Because that is the heart of God. That is the heart of the Savior, a heart that serves. That is humility. So the disciples were keeping the children away, and Jesus saying, no, let them come to me, and you need to receive them too. How to not live like a disciple, how to not humble yourself, follow like a disciple. This is the teaching that Jesus has given to him. He's like, you got to stop how you've been living. you got to change your perspective, and you have to now serve without strings. My challenge to you, church, you would serve without strings. Husbands, serve your wives without strings. Wives, serve your husbands without strings. You may not get anything in return, but we don't keep track. We don't keep an account of how much I've done versus how much they've done. And when we both live with this perspective, you know what we do? We enhance every person's life we come in contact with. Serve without strings. I cannot stress this enough, church. In a culture, in a day, when we serve only to be served, when we serve only knowing that hopefully I get something in return, no, we do it with no strings attached. Why? Because that is the heart of our Savior. And that is who our Savior has called us to be. Last and finally, the last key to humbly follow Jesus is be a team player. Oh, man. Some of you are expecting something more spiritual. Just be a team player. Well, what does that mean, Caleb? Verse 38 through 41, uh, I read it, but John, so right after this teaching on humbling yourself, on accepting the children, John actually comes to Jesus. He says, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. We tried to stop them because he's not following us. He's not with us. But Jesus said, don't stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able to soon afterwards speak evil against me. For the one who is not against us is for us. And I wanted to end with this because I wanted to challenge us as the church that we would begin to shift our perspective. We would see all brothers and sisters in Christ, no matter denomination, no matter background, no matter, no matter style, um, perspective on church, that we are all on the same team. Do you hear me? We're all on the same team. I think that in, in this moment, in our day, in our culture, in our world, what I'm seeing is that there is a division happening among brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're actually divided along theological ideas, right? That's why we have hundreds, thousands of denominations. We're divided even among style. Stylistically, we're divided. We're divided on perspectives, and the enemy wants nothing more than to divide the church because he knows a house divided against itself cannot stand. That's what Jesus said. And yet in this moment, can we shift our perspective, church, and begin to draw ourselves back together? We would unify. We would unify in this moment of racial division. We would unify in this moment of different perspectives on a virus. We would unify in this moment that we have different maybe doctrine even. There's a little changes in doctrine theologically. Could we unify and say, no, we're all on the same team. We're all preaching the message and the person of Jesus. 
Now, I'm not saying that Jesus is championing unity at the expense of sound doctrine. But the issue here is that the disciples had a failure at exorcism and someone else, just a few verses ago, I don't know if you guys remember, and someone else is having success and they're upset. You see, essentially, they're like, they're not doing it the way we would have done it. And I think there's always a temptation in the church that we go, they're not doing it the way we would do it. Now, there are some non-negotiables, church, hear me. The cross, Jesus crucified, him being the way, the truth, and life, the only way to heaven, that is a non-negotiable. But we have a saying we have at this church that if you ever go through next steps, you'll hear we say this. In essentials, we have unity. In non-essentials, we have liberty. And I love this saying, you see, this isn't a competition. This is about building the kingdom of God. It's about winning souls for Jesus. And what I see is, is a church that is divided. We're divided along style. So we got people that are going, well, you got to wear suits. You know, there's whole YouTube channels just bashing pastors. I've watched some of these videos and I saw one, they're bashing the pastor because he's wearing boots. And the, the YouTube guy with hundreds of thousands of views is saying he's wearing boots and they're feminine. And it's a spirit of feminism invading ma masculinity and men in the church. And I'm going, what are we doing? We divide ourselves because, well, we play this kind of music and not that kind of music. We divide ourselves because we dress this way and oh, he wears t-shirts to preach. How dare he? Uh, we wear suits and that's what's God honoring. The church has become more divided than ever. And I wonder... If maybe in this moment, God is using everything happening around us to unify us. Because I believe that in this moment, a conversation on race, on justice, that this is something we can unify around. That all men are created equal. That there is the pursuit of liberty and justice for all. Right on, on the 4th of July, we can look back even to our Constitution and say, man, that is something that our forefathers put in. And yet for years and decades and generations, we actually haven't lived out. And so maybe God is using like what feels like chaos and disunity to bring unity to the church. That we would come together in solidarity and we would say, listen, we are one under Jesus. We are one under the cross of Jesus Christ. There is one person that unifies all people in all backgrounds, in all races, in all socioeconomic levels, and his name is Jesus. And maybe, just maybe, this is an opportunity for the church to come together when we've allowed little idiosyncrasies and little details and little minutia of perspective divide us. Maybe God is using this topic and this moment to bring us together under the personhood and the saviorship of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he wants us together. Because the church unified is the most powerful force in the world. A power for good, a power for justice, a power for hope, a power for unity, a power for equity all across this world. And the church must be unified in this moment. But it's going to take us humbling ourselves. And so church, I challenge you how to not follow like a disciple. Because the disciples were missing it. 
They allowed little things, wrong perspective to elevate their, themselves and to bring a prideful mentality. And the church is at a moment that I believe God is humbling us. We've been walking prideful. And I'm at the forefront of it, okay? Church, I'm with you because I have thought I knew it all and I have walked in pride at moments in my life. And I think at this moment, God is bringing us to our knees and saying, humble yourselves before me, before my cross, before my son Jesus. And if you do, I will release an anointing and a revival like you've never seen. But we have to be humble, church. We have to humble ourselves. Why? Because God exalts the humble. But he humbles those that exalt themselves. And so I want to challenge you that we would leave this place after hearing this message on this Independence Weekend, that we would leave and say, God, help me to humble myself. Help me to recognize that I don't know everything. I don't have all the answers, that my perspective is not perfect. Let me tell you, your perspective is not perfect. Mine is not perfect. And that's why daily I say, God, humble me. Help me to see the way you want me to see. Help me to process everything that's going on in this world the way you want me to process. Help me to have eyes that you want me to have. Help me to love the way you want me to love. It takes humility to be the church. It takes humility to usher in the revival that God wants in this world. And if we keep living prideful, if we keep thinking we know it all, we will stop and hinder the move of God that he wants to happen in this moment. So may we humble ourselves. God, may I humble myself before you that we would pray for a contrite spirit and a humble heart. Why? Because that is how we walk as true disciples of Christ. So I want to pray for us today. Lord, I pray that you would humble us, Lord. That you would give us humble hearts, contrite spirits, that we would not think we know it all. We would not believe we have the perfect perspective, God, but we would humble ourselves and position ourselves in a place that says, God, I want your perspective. I want your heart May we daily say, God, humble me. God, give me humility. It's the only thing, Lord, I believe, that will allow us to usher in and see the move of God we want to see. It's a humble church. And so we cry out for humility. God, humility of our leaders. Humility of our, our body. Humility of your church. Lord, we cry out for it today. We need it. We're desperate for it in your name, in your name. If you're here today and you're listening, you don't know Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to receive him. I talked about the cross, about Jesus. He is at the forefront of our message. So today I want to ask you, if you don't know him, that you would respond to him. Today you would say, Jesus, come into my life. You pray this prayer after me. It's really simple. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved. So pray this with me. Say, Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. I tell you right now, I'm a sinner and I'm broken and I'm messed up. And today I confess that you are the Savior. I receive you. I believe in my heart that you died and you rose again. And I stand humbly before the cross asking for the life that comes through you alone. I love you, Jesus. And I ask you to change me from the inside out today in your name. 
Amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer, this is the best decision you could ever make. We are praying for you. We'd ask you to click the link below, fill out the form, just letting us know so we can connect with you, help you on this faith journey for the rest of us. May we go out from this place on this Independence Weekend. This week, may we daily say, God, humble me. May we have humble hearts, contrite spirits, so we can be the church that he's called us to be. We love you guys. We're praying for you. We miss you. Some of you will see July 12th. The rest of you will see online. Um, but listen, have an amazing week. God bless you. I hope this Take word care. encouraged you today. If you haven't heard, we recently purchased a building in Old Sacramento. This is going to be the permanent home of Project Church. We are here to stay in Sacramento. But I wanted to ask you if you would consider giving, uh, donating to help make this vision come to fruition. You can go to www.projectchurch.com backslash believe to see more about the building and to donate. God bless you and let's see what God can do through us.